Hello and welcome to Hyperborean Radio Uncensored. We're sending our warm welcomes out there to all you godless heathens on the wasteland of modernity. Today we're going to be talking about our friends of the North Woods, those of Paw and Claw. I'm here today with, as always, my co-host, Celtic God, and I am the lore keeper. The best intro so far. That's awesome. Before we actually delve into this, I want to remind everybody... Check out all of our other content. It's scattered all over the web. If you look in the description of this podcast channel, you will find a link there to our uh, link tree. It'll take you to our website where we have articles up on there and ways to support us directly as well as easy central place, I guess, to actually listen to this podcast because it has a podcast player and music by Trova De Lid is featured on there as well and a link that goes to our YouTube channel. In addition, on that link tree, there is also a link to our Telegram, Instagram, all the grams, the witters, the twitters, the titters, the all the shit. It's everywhere. Just click that link and you'll find it all. So yeah, with the animals, basically, I guess kind of what we want to get to is, and really we're preaching, preaching at the choir. We'll, we'll steal something from the, uh, from the Abrahamics for a moment. We're going to pre- preach to the choir today and remind everybody to love the animals. Why? Because those that would push us down say, hate the animals, fear the animals, all the more reason to love the animals. Precisely. And actually what kind of got us started on this topic is we've sort of been discussing like old animal cults, um, artifacts, things like that. But I also kind of got on a whole thing with the Staffordshire Terriers, better known as pit bulls. And these Staffordshire Terriers are also known as the nanny dog because they used to be sought after as the dog to get to protect and care for your children due to their loyal, loving, kind, gentle temperament, as well as their absolutely vicious nature when you dare harm the person they love. And that description is actually not your own. That is a description in historical context as to why people with children should get the nanny dog. Precisely. It's not just uh, the St. Bernard from Peter Pan. We've had a long history with animals. Dogs alone could be several shows, but we're, we're doing more of an overview here. And actually, there's an interesting saying that you used to uh, tell me, and I bring it up every once in a while, but Christians have hands and nails, pagans have paws and claws. Now, this doesn't literally mean we're turning into werewolves here, Uh, nor are there any unfortunate uh, things. (laughs) But um, the, uh, the basic idea being that we have rougher hands, we have thicker hands, we are more capable of both strength and craft and damage if need be etc i'll let cg finish that up well really we're doers that's why is because we're supposed to be doers we're not supposed to be uh the dainty little scholar that has the asthmatics and needs to sip the teas and i don't give a shit if you drink tea everybody anybody that's listened to us long enough knows that it's not a good show if you don't get offended at least once but we aren't are not a dainty people. We're not meant to be cloistered into libraries or in the the sitting chair in front of the the fireplace reading the old books, the dusty, moldy books. God blow the dust off from the sea as we read by the firelight with our, I don't know, fancy freaking pipe. 
this isn't who we are. We're doers. We, we go out and like the wild animals, we basically run around in the dirt, pick up the, the wood. We work with our hands. We do things. That gives you paws and claws. And yes, I'm imagining that there's probably a few people looking at their hands right now. Well, my hands aren't like that. That's because currently you have hands and nails. Start working on the paws and claws. The things that can crush skulls when you grab them and squeeze really hard. And by the way, this is why this is uncensored. And we don't talk this way on the YouTubes. As much. (laughs) But um, here's the thing is a lot of people want to talk about... The wise men. Yes, the wise men like Merlin. Yes, like Merlin. Yes, the guy that ran around in the woods most of the time hanging out with wolves. He ha- he was very dainty. <laughs> Mother Fricker was a wild man and was actually in some versions of the story a literal antichrist. You heard that right. A, there's many of these things. Don't let, you know, 1980s horror classics uh, ruin that sort of concept for you. But... These sorts of things are important because there's the delineation between the European and the Christian. And here's the thing is, while Christianity is at its weakest right now, its impact on the culture is extreme. And you can see this in how people act, how they think. You know, the, oh no, the big bad wolf's going to get all my sheep, so we got to call, you know, a hundred of them, despite the fact that they're freaking endangered. And this whole thing, you can see this as you look at like the transitionary period, because one of the reasons that certain animals literally became labeled as demons, you know, your black dogs, your bears, your stags, your wolves, it's because they were competition. The, The cult of the bear is archaic. It is ancient. Same with a lot of bird species like the owl. These are extremely old spiritual symbols. And it's not because we were praying at the feet of, you know, the fuzzy, cuddly, eat your face off uh, brown bears in Europe or the cave bears. It's because we, A, respected them, but B, here's the thing. If a god of Europeans was going to show up, they're probably not going to show up as a little dainty dove. Granted, there is at least one goddess that does that. But I'm half convinced that some Christianization, that'd be Hark from northern Germany. These animals, they were demonized because they were spiritual competition to the church. And that's not in some weird esoteric way where, oh, the meaning of the ravens. Let us discuss the esoteric meaning of the ravens and how they they transfer between the realms carrying information back. I mean, literally, the raven itself. In, you know, where there's the dead animal and the raven is not afraid to crawl up inside the, the bloody bloated guts to get the nummy bits or to start its feast at the at the uh, the juicy eyeballs. Our ancestors understood what these animals are. My question is, does the modern heathen understand what these animals actually are? Well, it's even something in like a hunting lore and it's not like magic. It's literally just the thing about ravens is they will screw with you if you are mean to them. They have long memories, they have cultures, and they will pass down their hatred of you to their chicks. So if you if you want to hunt well in the woods, best give the ravens their due respect. Give them a little bit of the guts you don't want and they'll actually help you hunt 
instead of, you know, warn everything so you basically starve to death because you pissed off one raven named Phil and Phil decided to just go scream at all the other ravens or something. Right. Well, because I, I've heard a lot of this esoteric talk about wolves, for instance, or bears and the esoteric meanings behind the bears and what they represent and all this stuff. And then the individual talking about it is terrified of this animal and does not understand anything about its actual nature. And really that, um, what is the most delicate way to put it? Pisses me off. But the esoteric meaning of the wolf and, and how it interacts with the gods and so on. So, oh my God, there's a wolf. Get it away. I'm going to die. It's going to eat my dog. Now, in general, the reality is the wolves don't fucking care about you. This doesn't mean you see a wolf, run right up to it and pet it because that's what the esoteric person does. The smart person says, oh, that's a wolf. I should probably just enjoy the fact that I see a wolf, but I should probably look around for the rest of his pack to see if they're circling around behind me because I don't uh, gauge. Is this a fat wolf? Is this a really skinny and hungry and desperate wolf? This makes a world of difference in your survival and what the wolves itself will do. Well, there's a comic strip out there uh, with just a couple of wolves as the main characters online. And one of them is one of the wolves goes up onto this rock where you can see people and the people are like, oh, wow, it's a wolf. How lucky are we to see this? And then the wolf goes back to his mate and she's like, why do you keep doing that? And he's like, I don't know, but it seems really important to them. Yeah, we're not talking about go out and. I don't know, try to hand feed these animals because they're, they're wild animals. They, they are, they have the brutality, the savagery and the desperation of nature behind them, but they are not these savage monsters running around the woods, looking to eat all your babies and, and your doggies and bite you in the back. And like the, the horror movies of, there's a few of them made about grizzly bears where they go around and they just kill like 20 30 40 people eating half of every person in the most horrible gruesome way and yes i do know that there are some grizzly bears that have killed people that happens on a fairly regular basis because people are uh not respectful of the bear and on occasion there have been bears where they suspect that the bear was killing for pleasure because i mean come on they're an apex predator if they want to kill something and they can, they're going to. But they don't kill 20, 30, 40 people just bam, 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 bam. Because it's dangerous to kill people. Well, and it's people... There's a good line in actually one of the freaking Narnia movies where before all of the animals could talk. So then they come back later and all this time has passed. Some of the... and. Uh, Lucy tries to talk to a bear and the bear doesn't speak human. So it attacks her and it's hungry and it, they basically have to kill her. And she's like, why didn't it talk to me? And he's like, because it can't talk. And she's like, well, why not? All the animals could talk before. And he's like, well, you get treated like a dumb brute long enough. You start to behave like it. And it's this, this disrespect. Cause here's the thing is the bear used to be considered a symbol of wisdom, a symbol of kingship, a symbol of strength. And then when Christianity moved in, the bear lost most of that and became like a bumbling comedic character. And it's actually kind of a really sad situation there. Well, and on the, the point of the talking animals, the animals have always talked and they still do. 
the thing is, is they, and they do try to communicate with us. However, most people do not know how to communicate with the animals. So they don't know how to, how to speak our language. Really? We don't, and we've forgotten how to speak theirs, but this is nothing new. The anthropomorphized animals, because we have stories of people talking to bears, ancient stories, stories of people talking to wolves, ancient stories, people talking to the crows and, uh, which can literally learn how to speak English ish. I mean, you're probably not going to be quoting Shakespeare and talking about, you know, all the crap around Shakespeare with it because it doesn't care. But anyways, animals do have a language and we have a language and we can actually communicate with each other. Something that might be fun is going on YouTube and just look up when animals ask for help. And they do. They will come to us and ask us for help. But we've forgotten how to communicate because we don't actually understand each other's nature. Well, and this is the thing is there's always been a give or take relationship. I mean, Europeans used to, if they hunted a bear mama and they found the cubs, they would take care of it. This is actually set up in some some forms of lore as like the founding of cities was the taking care of these cubs. Well, and a lot of scholars will claim that these mother bears were hunted on purpose. Speaking with hunters, and yes, I am projecting, but I am inclined to think because there's nothing really to support that they specifically hunted mother bears to get the cubs. I think it was more along the lines of an accident, hunting a bear or forced to kill a bear and then find out that, that it has cubs. At that point, you take care of the cubs. Same way with wolves, really. And we'll still do this today. Wolves, cubs, or uh, foxes, uh, bears. I've seen people do it with beavers and raccoons, and they never actually killed the mother on purpose. Well, they, they intentionally killed the animal, but they weren't hunting a mother for the purpose of getting the young. Doesn't mean nobody did that, but the way that a lot of these scholars and academics talk about it, they make it seem like this was the express purpose for going out on this hunt. No, I, I'm more inclined to believe it was accidental when they killed a bear with cubs or a wolf with, with uh, I believe those are also called cubs or pups. And so then what do you do? You take care of the, the young ones and then release them if you can. Well, and we do it all the time because you don't intentionally kill you know, a mother who, first of all, it's just damaging to the population and it's just ridiculous. And the weird thing is, is the way that we tend to view things is even after all this Christianization, we're just horrifying things we've done to animals as a result. We still respect animals to a pretty high extent. I mean, this is actually something that me and CG have talked about, which is the other races aren't very good at domesticating animals. Um, because we move into Africa and all of a sudden we're domesticating the cheetah, the hyena, uh, the giant Elland, the zebra, the ostrich, the rhinos. I mean, and Frick Carthage had just a crap ton of elephants and that was a white kingdom, at least in its OG phase. And it's just ridiculous to me that people will mistreat animals to this level because the whole reason that that we can domesticate them is because we trust them because we treat them like friends. We acknowledge they're not people, but we pay them enough respect that they are willing to do stuff for us. 
that the the chicken is willing to be just a bird that sticks around and lays eggs for us because it will guard it. There's a quid pro quo there. And I think the reason we're all instinctively just horrified by factory farming is there's no quid pro quo. The animal is there to suffer, fatten up, die, and be served to us. It is a life of suffering. And it is something that we just cannot abide. It's something that's horrifying to us. Like, uh, I think that you knew someone who can't remember if it was at a butcher shop or what it was, but they actually told you, don't go into these. You will. Yeah. uh, The slaughterhouse. Don't go into these. You will lose your shit. Right. And yeah, that that's a true story. But I think the reason why a lot of people are scared of these these animals, I mean, like actually scared of them, even though they've had zero encounters with them uh, outside of a zoo, is because of the stories. Like with the wolves, for instance. How many stories of the big bad wolf are there? Um, the original story of uh, Goldilocks? No. Yeah, maybe it's Goldilocks. Uh, this bed's too soft. This bed's too hard. Goldilocks. Um, the Lord Keeper shaking his head vigorously, vigorously at me. The bears ate her. And I say, hey, yeah, she deserved it because, uh, let me see, she went in and stole their stuff and broke their stuff. So, yeah, she got what was coming to her. But a lot of the, the fears are trained into us. I mean, our young understand that these animals are are dangerous, so they're aware when they first encounter them. But if they haven't been inundated with stories about, you know, the werewolves and the, that's going to eat you or the, the big bad wolf or, or any of these other notions and a lot of churches, even they will s- still actively go after these animals in, in oral fashion. But if the child hasn't been ex- exposed to these things and has been exposed more to hunters that actually interact with these, with these animals, They'll they'll be wary when they see one, uh, so they don't just run right up and try and pet them. But they're also not scared simply because it's there. It's the stories, it's the reactions of the adults that are scared of these animals that causes the children to be scared, and it's a vicious freaking cycle. We need to be aware of the dangers, but also understand that these are not monsters. Well, like, for instance, the end of Goldilocks in the original version where they just eat her. Why does they do that? Because they just she just stole, disrespected, and treated their house like she owns it. This is a warning. But the bears up until that point, it's just a mom, a dad, and a kid. Just like you all have a mom, a dad, and we're a kid. They are humanized, and then they tear her apart. Why? To, to tell you, don't disrespect bears. It's pretty simple. Yeah, well, she behaved as if she was above and or separate and above of the animals when she was within their home. So it is a good message, actually, for the bears to rip her apart. You don't do that. You wouldn't do that to humans. Why would you do that to bears? I mean, what would you expect if you broke into somebody's house, busted up all their stuff, ate all their food, or didn't even eat all their food, but you managed to waste it all and only eat some and just generally mess up their stuff. What do you expect to happen if these are people, let alone animals? It is a good story on the interaction between people. I mean, yes, Goldilocks, she's the bad guy in the story. 
Well, and here's the thing is the way that we view animals, you know, we brought the Christian mindset to an extent over to America with us, but we continued, we continued forth with our own traditions and new ones were even formed because you have traditions like, um, how we view animals like the raccoon and the, um, uh, the cardinal. These are actually two animals that are fairly prominent in American culture. Uh, the cardinals actually become a bit of a Christmas symbol, a Yuletide symbol, because it's, it's a red bird, a bright red bird that flutters around in the snow. It's like a living patch of blood. And then you also have uh, the raccoon, which is a addition to the trickster category for Americans, because those things are really crafty. Like you were telling me about they'll actually open the door, go inside, just carefully steal some of the stuff they want, leave, and then close the door behind them because they don't like to get caught. Some are smart enough to actually do that. Most aren't, but there there have been some caught on video that was smart enough to break into a house, very carefully go through the house looking for food and items, and then leave and not make a mess and close everything up on their way out. This has been caught on video. So that's how I know that it happens. So maybe some, if you live in the countryside, maybe some of your house fairies that are messing with you are just raccoons. Or let me rephrase that, not just raccoons, but maybe they are raccoons. E either way, yes, the, these things happen. And again, I know people as terrified of raccoons because they think all raccoons have, have rabies. You get around a raccoon, you're just going to die. You're going to get rabies and just die. You A skunk, you you get around a skunk, a skunk is just going to spray you and it's going to be horrible and then you might also die from the rabies. Bats, oh, they flutter all around and they're going to, they, they like to nest in your hair. I've heard all kinds of ridiculous things about all the animals. This fear is put there in, in are on purpose and it's not just our people that that and it's not all animals that the church will do this with and it's not just the christians it's also the muslims are famous for hating dogs in particular black dogs but the universalist religions have a tendency to mistreat animals and they all do this to one degree or another however since most of us live in christian countries i'm going to address christianity with the hyperboreans our natural default state is to like animals. That leads to respecting animals, trying to help animals, trying to live in tandem with animals. Because we have all kinds of foundations for save this wild animal or that wild animal, save their habitats, all this good stuff. And it's, it's natural to our people. But because we're, we are this way with almost all the northern animals, um, the church then demonizes all of the animals because they cannot afford for us to be paying so much respect, so much reverence to these animals when we're supposed to be paying it to uh, Yahweh and Oily Josh. And their, their, their teachers, their preachers, make sure to drive this in. But this has been done with other peoples as well, with the panther, with the tiger, with the whatever animal a particular group holds uh, in reverence, I guess, holds a high amount of respect for the church will then when they went, moved into these countries or tried started pushing into these countries would then demonize their animals. Well, and here's the thing is they're still doing it. And 
while it's not the church directly, although they are playing up into it, the fear of of the COVID-19. <coughs> because watch out for your animals because they can get the COVID-19 and spread it to you and then you'll die. But the animals, they're going to be just fine. They, they have a tendency to survive these, but you're going to die if you're around animals. Case in point, Australia. When they killed that shelter full of dogs that was yeah I, so far as i know it's implied that they're all, that they was all adopted although they might not have all been adopted which is far more likely but they the police went in and executed all the dogs due to the covid-19 risk so it's still happening today they're trying to make us fear all of the animals well and the church has most successfully out of all the animals demonized snakes. They used to be a almost universal across European cultures symbol of uh, knowledge, uh, the other world or underworld and medicine. We still even use them as a symbol of medicine today, whether it's the caduceus, the, the symbol of Hermes or what it's supposed to be, which is the rod of Asclepius. Well, and for the uh, Americans that are in the South that says, well, I'm afraid of snakes and it's because they're poisonous. Don't be afraid of them. Be cautious of them, sure, but stop being afraid of them. They're just snakes. They don't want to waste their venom on you. If they can avoid it, they won't. But I've spoken to a lot of Americans that think Europe does not have venomous snakes. This is incorrect. Well, there's even a tale of one hero getting killed by snakes. Uh, who was it? It was... Oh, Ragnar. He got killed in a pit of vipers, if anyone remembers that story. They even actually did a version of that tale in the actual TV show. Um, but it, it's a whole freaking thing. and it, it Well, and here's a fun fact. Rattlesnake venom. It is actually used as a medicine. You can actually use it both for the anti-venom for the snake itself... But you can also use it to make, I think it's a kind of heart medicine. Um, and it's, I don't, I think it's, an it, I think it's actually a coagulant or something. Cause that's how rattlesnake venom works. They might be, have found it's a heart medicine either way, but I don't really think that they were using the snakes, you know, with Asclepius for that reason. Maybe. Yeah, I was saying maybe they were because milking snakes is not something that's new. And our ancestors were not stupid. I mean, they even had technology that we don't have now. Um, the, the Roman underwater concrete stuff, uh, Greek fire. And there's, there's legend of medicines that we don't have anymore. And, and some of the legends, they actually mention using snake venom or... Uh, venom from various um, various insects, well, I'm guessing spiders or whatnot, to actually create medicines. So, yeah, what we do with them now, probably not as different as people would think from what they did with them in ancient days. And of course, getting bit by a venomous snake or spider sucks. But that's not a reason to be afraid of them. It's just a, a reason to be aware of them. Well, and you and I were even just talking about how snakes, I have combed through folklore. The closest thing to a negative spider in European folklore, not fantasy, like not Shelob or Aragog or anything like that, nothing from fantasy novels, but from 
actual myth and folklore. Spiders are almost universally a positive force. They are healers. They are uh, wise. They are givers of gifts. They are spinners of flax. It, it's a whole thing. Well, and I can hear all the people with arachnophobia right now hollering about the wolf spider and uh, the black widow and the supermonger of death spider. And again, this is just why you're aware of animals, what it is that they, they do, how it is that they do. Why is it that they are doing the thing that they do? Well, one example of spiders and here's, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a huge fan of spiders. I, I just sp- uh, spiders in general. There is a spider that lives on my computer. I just call him Mr. Spider. He has a massive web and he catches flies for me. Right. And I was just going to say that um, there's there's research done into spider bites. Most of these spider bites that people get aren't spider bites. They're just classified as a spider bite because there's a hole there. The doctor doesn't know what it is. Uh-huh. Spider bite. But they, no, these aren't spider bites. They could be flea bites. They could be maybe bed bugs is is another possibility. There's all kinds of of critters that will bite, take chunks, draw blood, do a wide variety of things. But if these were spider bites, all of these were spider bites, yeah, there would be a lot more. It'd be obvious. It'd be very, very obvious if all of these were spider bites. Like, say, by the brown recluse. That's something that you cannot not notice. Or by the wolf spider. That is something you're definitely going to notice if you get bit by a wolf spider. Maybe not at the moment, but within 12 hours, you will definitely know. Well, and spiders as um, a positive force are actually... They've still continued that up until today, oddly enough. Uh, I'm thinking of, um, like, for instance, Charlotte from Charlotte's Web. I mean, they had people crying over a spider at the end of that movie and in the end of that book. And that's the thing is, in general, I'm not saying that spiders aren't dangerous, but here's the thing. So are bears and wolves and most northern animals, because here's the thing is it is not easy to live in the north. The most dangerous northern animal that I can think of is us. I mean, really, if you want to be afraid of a northern animal... And one that is a justified fear, it is us. But we also know that as a redundant fear, there's really no point in that because then we we don't have family, we don't have friends end up dying alone simply because we're afraid. We see what happens when we become afraid of each other is society begins to crumble and fall apart. And then we start inviting in these uh, not us which then further degrades the trust and instills even more fear and more separation of the society and and the civilization in general. So I don't suggest fearing us either. The reason why I mentioned it is because most of us speaking and or listening to this channel don't fear our own people. Fearing a spider for the sake of it being a, a spider is the same as fearing your mother simply because she's a hyperborean. Fearing a bear simply because it's a bear is the same as fearing your father simply because he's a hyperborean. And really, that's that's the way that it is. 
don't fear the animals simply because you've been told that they're scary, that you've been told that they're dangerous. Of course they're dangerous. Everything in the north is dangerous. That's why it's alive. Precisely. And it, it actually boggles my mind because some people will realize that animals are uh, sacred to some extent or another in European ethnic faith, Hyperborean ethnic faith. Here's the weird thing they get stuck on is like how Christianity only really has a handful of sacred animals and then it's like a super gray area. European pagans end up stuck in a similar situation where they have like a big three and then everything else kind of falls to the wayside. Like I love finding out like obscure lore about like animals that people forget exist. The porcupine, the otter, um, the salmon. This is one thing I find interesting is everyone is fascinated in, in America. I don't know how much this is prevalent over in Europe or other countries, but up in the north, up in like the northwestern United States, there's legends of the raven, of salmon, of the bear, and of the coyote and stuff like that. We have our own similar myths that fit us far better because I've heard some of the stories of these animals uh, that the engines tell. They don't fit. They're really bad. I've heard some coyote tales. They're really bad. But you hear some, you know, fox lore from Europe or some uh, salmon lore or some raven lore. We have a lot of that. And it's something I've brought up before is people are searching for a spirituality uh, like someone that watches us. Uh, I know that they have a relative that's really into the engine stuff uh, because that's something that they don't realize that the European stuff exists. So they're trying to like talk to them about that sort of thing. Well, yeah. And one of the more common tales is um, if you're Celtic, I'm sure that you've heard the stories about the, uh, about the salmons. It's like, Oh, somebody turned into a salmon and swam away. It must be four o'clock on Tuesday. Everybody does it. It's our secret power. I mean, the, the the Chinese, they can fly. Celts turn into fish and swim away. In particular, we turn into salmons. But there's also stories of like the family of otters. That's really prevalent. And there's a book series that actually touches on, on it and highlights it. And it's pretty famous, Redwall. It really does touch on it and how the some of the animals can interact. And even if they try being friends, they just can't. Well, like the rat and the mouse. Um, but actually, those books are descended of animistic customs in Europe. It's one of the reasons we bring the, those sorts of things up is that's what it is. It's a continuation of ancient animistic customs. They've just taken the human component out. Well, and another continuation is cartoons. Uh, Tom and Jerry, for instance. And I'm sure most, most people know who Tom and Jerry is, the cat and the mouse. The Roadrunner, the Bugs Bunny. Uh, have fun. List out just all these examples. It's just a continuation of one of our old customs. Well, it's the same with um, with Disney characters like Mickey Mouse and stuff. But I'll admit I prefer Looney Tunes by and large. And it's specifically because they were funnier as a kid. I do like uh, I do like DuckTales from the, the kids show when I was younger, though. Right. Well, one of the things I like better about the Looney Tunes is like, it's not just that you can tell what the animals are more clearly than you can with the Disney versions most of the time. It's the cat acts like a cat. The duck does duck things. The 
the rabbit does rabbit things. So they actually keep it closer to what the animal actually is and what it actually does. If they show, if Looney Tunes shows a horse, guess what the horse has a tendency to do? Even if they put it on two legs, he's a runner or he's just really powerful and strong. Well, that's, uh, or another example of sort of that animistic quality being placed on animals is Watership Down. Very violent movie. Um, it's not half bad. It's a very violent book. I read the book. I didn't watch the movie. Interestingly enough, though, it's uh, Bugs Bunny. Uh, people have pointed this out. He's basically a trickster god, at least how he's depicted. I can't think of any European rabbit trickster gods, though. Uh, we tend to associate them actually more with magic. And oddly enough, the, the rabbit, the hare, uh, was one of the most demonized animals in Europe. They were heavily associated with witches. And I think part of it was due to the cults of Astara, Iostre, as well as the uh, the trio of rabbits, uh, that symbol. But these are fairly important. Um, these are very important animals. And that's why people love Bugs Bunny. It is yes, it's it's not really a European thing, as far as I can tell, for the rabbit to be a trickster, at least as as much as Bugs is. But well, if you think about it, people think of him as a trickster, but is he actually a trickster or is he magic? I mean, he does pull hammers out of nowhere, out of nowhere. He'll create holes out of nothing. He burrows under the ground at a magical speed. So is he actually a trickster or is he magical or a little bit of both? Fair point. Um, I mean, he does conjure up uh, giant illusions of like operas and, uh, and uh, restaurants out of thin air just to horribly confuse people. <laughs> oh, now I'm just remembering some Looney Tunes. Well, that's like, here's like, if you want to see what we think of coyotes as, you can see it with uh, Coyote in Looney Tunes. Wily Coyote. Because is he clever? Yes. Is he successful or strong? No. No. Is he even a trickster? Nope. No, no. He's, he's fairly smart, but, I mean, he just keeps failing to catch that roadrunner. Right, because a lot of people think, well, the, the spiritual connection with the Coyote is as a trickster god and so on and so forth. Europeans, we don't view him that way. And like you said, Wiley Coyote from, from Looney Tunes shows actually how we view these creatures. They're cunning. They're, they're a bit thievery, um, deceitful, a uh, little bit murdery, but not really trickstery. More like ambushy and, and, and cunning because he is made, that character is made out to be very, very smart. Very, very smart. But um, another Looney Tune character that some people might be like, well, there is no way this is based off from European mythology. The Singing Frog. That is not unique to Looney Tunes. Not even close. Uh, for instance, Kermit the Frog, the reason he has a banjo is it's folklore. The, the call of certain kinds of frogs sounds like a banjo playing. That's why there's like all these old illustrations and like little statues from like the southern United States of a, of a frog playing a banjo. Kermit the Frog or a tambourine. This is a continuation of American folk customs in Kermit the Frog playing a banjo. Well, and I've, I've tripped over. Uh, I've told people a thousand times if I've told them once. Studying folklore really wasn't my forte, more history. But um, it, that musical frog thing actually 
is in Europe as well. And really, really old. The musical frog singing or playing some kind of instrument. You can find some art that's really old where you have a frog playing a bagpipe. I wonder why. Could it be their croak? I, I don't know. But Looney Tunes singing frog is based off from old European customs. Come on, my darling. Come on, my baby. Come on, my ragtime girl. I mean, it's fun. It's silly because that's what Looney Tunes is, is fun and silly. But you can see the reflection. And you don't even have to look that hard. All you have to do is know what's out there historically. Not not even not even based off from folklore, just historical references. And you can see it. Side point, Roadrunners are pretty cool to look at. You should look up a picture of them. They're not as big as they're depicted, but they are pretty fast. Coyotes tend to not bother with them because the amount of energy that they have to put out to catch the darn thing is not worth the amount of calories they get for that bird. Well, and really, the Roadrunner is the most boring Looney Tunes character that there is. And um, I think that they really didn't know how to build up on it because America has Roadrunner, right? We have coyotes. This is an interesting trope in America. However, that's all that there is for it. Where with a lot of these other animals, they're more fleshed out because they've been with us longer. And the ones that haven't, uh, like the raccoon, it's because we've interacted with it on a consistent basis. Raccoons have shown up a lot, especially in like recent media. Like there's um, Over the Hedge. Uh, from like 10 years ago where the the raccoon is like planning a heist or um, there's some jokes in like the Simpsons where grandpa's shut out during Christmas so he's like fine I'll spend Christmas with the raccoons and he gets in the dumpster and they give him a gift and he's like oh for me you shouldn't have rancid lard oh you shouldn't have well and if you look at what we've done with the raccoon for instance because so far as I know, I haven't seen any reference to raccoons in Europe. So far as I know, they they, they aren't there nat- naturally. But what we've done in stories with the raccoon... Uh-oh, the, the fear-monger patrol is going by. Since they've been trying to make us scared of stuff, I've noticed like 6 to 12 times a day now I'll hear sirens. When they want things quiet and people not to be scared, they go- magically go away. Go figure. But... What I think that, that we've done with the raccoon is we have blended the raccoon with stories of the fox and of the bear. If you look at how raccoons are treated and Okay, now he's coming back. I don't know if you guys can hear or not, but here comes the siren again from the same direction that it just went. So it's like he's running loops or running laps. But if you look at what we've done with raccoons in media... It looks like we've taken raccoon, which we're we're fond of, and then we're like, oh, not a whole lot of of um, lore that we can apply to this. But they do have the bandit mask, so now he's 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 a thief because he's got the bandit mask, and they do get a little bit uh, thievery. But then we've we've also applied uh, fox like stories to him. Because they are tricky, they're cunning, all this stuff. And then a little bit of heroics with it as well. Which both foxes and bears, I guess, they, they both do have heroic tales. But 
well, when you look at the the raccoon stories versus the fox stories, the raccoon is always more brave, more of the leader than the foxes. He is more bold, more like a bear, but really small with a uh, and cunning and trickery tricky like the uh, like the fox. So yeah, we we've taken an animal that we don't have in Europe and applied European ideals to it. Well, and this isn't even the only animal we've done that with. Uh, the bald eagle versus the European golden eagle. Because we do have the golden eagle here, but the bald eagle, it got the lore from that. Or uh, most notably, the groundhog. Because the groundhog is uh, its original scientific name, even meant like rodent bear. So it actually looks like a really tiny, really uh, dorky bear. So that's part of the reason it was chosen as like this continuation of the ancient bear cult customs. It, it's a whole thing. And it's, it's not uncommon. And here's the thing is, while the raccoon is a thief, he is a relatively charming, uh, not gentleman, but like a cat burglar. He can be... He's yeah, he's the rogue. The rogue archetype from D&D. That is the... He he's the, the 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 suave rogue. That's what the raccoon is. Yes, the swashbuckler, the highwayman, etc. Is it, you know the the polite one until he's not. But yeah, that that's kind of the um, the personality that's that we place upon these. Which again, it's an ancient custom, and we haven't really been we've been taught to fear these animals, but. It doesn't have the millennia behind it like wolves and bears. Well, I just thought of the most obvious raccoon, and I, I, we almost didn't mention it, Rocket Raccoon. I mean, it actually fits a lot of the types. He's intelligent, but he's also kind of crass. He's likable, but he's also kind of a dick. He's heroic, but he's also a selfish prick. Um, he's smart and tricky, but he's also uh, naive and emotional. He actually fits a lot of the personality traits of a raccoon fairly well. Right, and this is kind of why I crap all over the esoteric academic approach to, well, this animal was important to the European people because it symbolized the transition between life and death and how it would carry messages and fly up into the heavens and yet burrow under the earth. Yeah. It reminds me of these people that say, my spirit animal is the wolf. And then you show them a real live wolf where there's not a fence between them and the wolf. And they make dirt in their pants and drop water on the ground. And this is one of the reasons why I like Aethelwolf. Any podcast exclusive listeners, check out the talk we had with Aethelwolf on our YouTube. But Aethelwolf, he's got pictures of him cuddling with a cheetah. Like he used to work with like these African like... um. Uh, what's the word? It's not foster, but like animal uh, sanctuary or whatever for like ill animals. And he would like take care of cheetah cubs and adult cheetahs and meerkats. And he has all these pictures of him just hanging with them like friends. It's one of the reasons I like Aethelwolf is I actually believe that if he met a wolf, he, he'd be relatively respectful. But his main goal would be, I'm going to convince you to be my best friend and we're just going to hang out. And he's going to be realistic about it because he's done it with a cheetah. He's done it with all these other animals that are not even... Well, technically they are because South Africa is... Uh, bio, biologically, it's our territory. It's cold enough to be our territory. 
Yeah, and I, I was just going to say for anybody that's like, well, a cheetah isn't a European animal. I don't see what the point is. Um, all I have to say is, fuck you, you're not paying attention, and you ignored the point. Everybody else got the point. Is we do this no matter where we are with any animal. I mean, we don't even like rats as as a race, but there's individuals among us that do. Same way with snakes. In general, a snake's a snake. We don't care one way or the other, but there are some people that really do appreciate snakes. I find them foolish, but hey, whatever, whatever. The point is, is our people, we love animals. We love animals, and it doesn't matter where we are in the world, what kind of animal it is, we are going to try and make friends with the animal. Why? Because we can. Well, and you brought up rats. And most Europeans, we're not very fond of rats. We like mice. Mice are kind of like mini people. But rats, not a big fan, especially the whole Black Plague thing, even though that wasn't their fault. Yeah, I can't even think of any positive stories of rats. There might be some. Well, there's actually been a recent one, and it actually, I think, won some people over to being at least temporarily pro-rat, which is uh, Rat Catcher 2 from that recent superhero film, The Suicide Squad, because she was like the she and the the polka dot guy were like the two um, standouts. Yeah. Oh, and and basically that film, man, James uh, Gunn or whatever the frick his name is is a total lefty libtard, but at the very least he knows how to do his job properly because all these characters that most people hadn't heard of, all of a sudden they are some of the most popular characters and you can't get away from people talking about, Oh, King shark. He's so adorable. Well, yeah. And here's the thing, regardless of what his politics are, what his personal beliefs are, he does one thing right when he's allowed to, he tells a fucking story is, um, uh, crap, I just forgot the name of the story, the movie that you was just talking about. Okay, Suicide Squad. He took, you got your main characters, which are supposed to be the blockbuster draw. They become the side characters, and these nobody characters then take up the, the spotlight. They shine. He makes them shine in this movie. I know it's not high art. But the bar is really low right now where if you can just tell a consistent story and just focus on the story and not on a message, you did good. And I think that's why his movies do pretty well. Guardians of Galaxy, um, the first one better than the second one, but they did get more political with the second one. And same way with and, and then with Suicide Squad, uh, they're, they're just like, please take this and make a good story out of it. Well, what can I do with it? Anything you want, just tell a story. Well, and I think it's because most people in Hollywood, in anything, like most books coming out right now, you can't tell a freaking story. And that comes down to the animals. I mean, uh, it's, it's ridiculous, but I don't want to go off on a whole tangent, but this is the level a good story. And we've actually been talking with like our friend McThunder about the importance of stories. Um, Call him by his proper title, the Dread Pirate McThunder. Okay, we've been talking with the Dread Pirate McThunder um, about the importance of stories. And for example, CG, not a very big fan of sharks. Mm-hmm. That is putting it mildly. Even he was kind of like, oh, King Shark, poor guy. Well, yeah, because the way that 
after they make friends with him and he is genuinely trying to be friends with him and then they leave him in a van by himself when they didn't have to. One person could have stayed with him, in particular Ratcatcher, since she was the one that put herself forward. Um, Yeah, yeah. It actually made me feel bad for King Shark. It's like, what, what, why are you, you don't do that. Once you make friends with something or somebody, you don't treat them that way. So, yeah, it actually, he managed through his storytelling to make me, or not make me, but encourage me to feel sympathy for a creature that in the real world, should they invade the land masses, I will go to all-out genocidal war against them because they terrify me. And yet I felt sympathy for, for this character. That is storytelling. And he was rather consistent about it. And yes, there's part of it that didn't even have to take place. And it was, but let's be honest. When a company says, here's all this money and here is an idea and we want you to make make a movie out of it and do whatever you want. They mean mostly do whatever you want. Well, and here's the thing is there is the great wolf. There is a Japan. There is acre belts. There is all these, an- these gods that are animals, Fenrir, Jormungandr, uh, Henwin, uh, the bear goddess, the, bear. the bear goddess, the bear mother. And here's the thing is a lot of these deities would show up in animal form, uh, you know, like uh, Freya in a falcon cloak or the ravens be- and magpies and all these corvids, which have the best group names, by the way, unkindness, murder, parliament, um, but they are, they would be the eyes of the deities. And it's all of this all around us. And this is kind of a continuation of the animism talk we had. But all of our talks are going to tie into each other. But we're getting pretty close to the end here. So I'm going to go ahead and say this. If you've got a pet, treat them well. Treat them kindly. Acknowledge them as another living thing. If you've got a dog, call them, tell them they're a good boy or a good girl. And then... Remember that every living thing has some level of matter and they actually do matter. This doesn't mean that you have to, you know, do what like the freaking Jains do in India where you take a feather and you swipe the poor bugs out of the way and you use a filter so you don't accidentally drink a gnat when you're drinking water or something. Um, You don't have to go to that level of insane pacifism. But... There is value in these things. A wolf's value is not simply whether or not you get its pelt. I mean, we used to give, like, if so, if we had a sick lamb or something like that, or we had a cow that we couldn't do much with, we would give it to the the animals. We would give a share to the wolves or the bears on the, on the edge of the property because they also guarded the herd. It wasn't, it was both a spiritual offering but it was also a uh, one that actually had some pragmatism to them. Here is the lamb that would that died when it was born. I can't. I could eat it, or I could give it to the wolves, and then they will leave the healthy sheep alone. Uh, wild animals will even do this. Like uh, the old stag that can't do much anymore would sacrifice itself to the predators to keep the young safe. This is the complexity of animals and why we as a people are so enamored with them and why they are willing to partner with us. 
And with that, Lore Keeper is going to go out. All right. And then, um, yeah, pretty much I want to uh, address something. Um, I haven't heard it in a while, but we've been getting more new listeners. So for the new listeners, you might think that our subject matter is all over the place. But if you actually listen and consider what we're talking about, we are always consistently on point. We have a singular message. We just come at it from so many different directions, but the singular message is all, always the same. And that is about our nature, returning to our nature, understanding who we are as a people, who we was and who we are so that we can understand and direct who we might become. All of our shows, all of our writings, everything that we do is wrapped around this idea, who we are as a people, returning to our nature, which is, that that's what paganism is, heathenism, the wild ways, whatever name it is that you want to use, that's what it's all about, is returning to who we are as a people. We are, no peoples on the planet is actually universalistic. That is a childish daydream that you can be friends with everybody all the time it just doesn't happen it can't happen in nature um the only place that can happen in nature is amongst the dead and that's because they're dead there's always going to be competition there's always going to be conflict there's always going to be strife there's always going to be pain but there's also always going to be joy and happiness and and love and those softer moments as well so for anybody that does not realize, it doesn't matter what we could talk, what we're talking about. We could talk about a movie like Suicide Squad. We can talk about Looney Tunes. We can talk about a book. We can talk about politics. We can talk about anything, and we are the message is always the same. It is always about who we are as a people. So therefore, the conversation is always about heathenism, paganism, living the wild ways. So. I guess until uh, next week, I'm going to tell everybody, don't keep your head down. Don't be safe, but definitely keep your powder dry. Oh, thank you.